Welcome to In Layman's Terms, a podcast dedicated to discipleship and putting scripture to use in our daily lives. I'm your host, Todd Seifert. I'm the Communications Director for the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, comprised of approximately 1,000 churches in Kansas and Nebraska. As the title of this podcast suggests, I'm not ordained clergy, so what I share comes to you in layman's terms. I have more than 20 years of experience teaching the Bible to everyone from teens to 90-somethings, and I'm excited to share what Scripture has to say to us in today's society, and I love to tell stories of how people live their faith. Some episodes focus on a person or church doing great things to serve as the hands and feet of Christ. Some episodes include interviews with experts who can help us along our faith journey. And other episodes include some short reflections on Scripture. Thank you for joining me. This episode starts a six-part series of the seven sayings of Jesus from the cross, followed by a celebration of Easter in our seventh episode. We have a special guest for each of these episodes. It's Bishop Reuben Sines, Jr., the Episcopal Leader of the Great Plains Conference. Bishop, welcome to In Layman's Terms. Thank you. It's good to be here, Todd. The title of the show indicates that this is a show from a layperson's perspective, but that isn't quite the case these next few weeks. Bishop Sines earned his Doctor of Ministry degree from Perkins School of Theology at SMU in Dallas, and he has specialized in local church growth and vitality, and of course, he is my bishop here in the Great Plains Conference. All that's to say is that we have someone here who knows what he's talking about as we explore these short but important phrases from Jesus that he shared as he was dying for our salvation on the cross. Bishop, uh, let's start off by talking about why we study these final words from Jesus. Why are these words significant? Well, first of all, Todd, thanks a lot for uh, the opportunity to share uh, some thoughts and reflections about the final sayings of Jesus during this Lenten season, um, and also for your vision of developing a podcast that informs laity about uh, current issues and things that laity are concerned about that are important to their everyday lives. Todd, the, the truth is that most of us do not spend enough time or much time thinking about our own mortality. Uh, and so the thought of that is just, you know, some a place that we don't want to go or even the thought of losing a loved one is unbearable. And we do everything in our power to preserve and extend our lives and those of our loved ones uh, as much as possible. But the reality of it is that we're all mortal. Um, mm -hmm. And so... Um, Psalm 90 reminds us that of the brevity of life. It says, for all of our days pass away. The days of our lives are 70 years or perhaps 80. If we are strong, even then their span is only toil and trouble, and soon they're gone and we fly away. So teach us to number our days so we gain a wise heart. And we partook of Ash Wednesday just a couple days ago, a few days ago. We were reminded of our mortal nature. We remembered that God created us out of the dust of the earth and that to dust we shall return. So it is that acknowledgement of our mortality that we are led into a renewed and reconciled relationship with God as we repent of our sin, which can separate us from a relationship with God and then seek God's mercy and forgiveness. So, so the significance of, of the last seven last things of Jesus on the cross are, are very important because first of all, they're important to the gospel writers. Mm -hmm. um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all wrote an account of Jesus' life, ministry, and death, and of course his resurrection. So when we read the Gospels in the, in the New Testament, the Gospel accounts of Jesus in the New Testament, we find that at least 25 to 50 percent of the Gospel 
um, uh, narratives focus on the last week of Jesus's life. This, this is significant. So for the writers, it was extremely important. And to make the point clearer, seven chapters out of 28 chapters in Matthew are um, focused on the last week of Jesus's life. That's 50 percent, um, 25 percent. Uh, six of 16 chapters in the Gospel of Mark, or 33 percent, are focused on the last week of Jesus's life. And uh, five of 24 chapters in Luke, or 20%, are focused on the last week, and 10 of 21, or almost 50%, in the, in the Gospel of John, is John focused. John was laser-focused. He was laser-focused on the last week. It was central to John's understanding of, of, uh, of the work of Christ on the cross. And so the, the preponderance of the material in the Gospels is a clear indication that the passion of Christ and his way of the cross, death, and resurrection is absolutely central and critical um, to the, the, the gospel writer's understanding of Jesus's life. And so each gospel writer communicated how through the passion, God in Christ was reconciling and saving the world unto himself. So, um, and, and this, this act of God, this loving act of God, fundamentally changed the trajectory of, of human uh, life as, as we understand it. So the reign of God was initiated at, at that. And, and ultimately it, it takes us to a place where there will be no more mourning or crying and pain, uh, and where the enmity between nations and people of the world will be healed. And so they're, they're important because they're also the last, the last words of a dying person. Okay? Yeah. And, and so we find one common saying of Jesus on the cross in the Gospel of Matthew and Mark, and that's, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? But then we find three unique sayings, uh, three in Luke and three in John, that are not part of Matthew and Mark. And so they complete the seven. So we have one common saying in Matthew and Mark, and then we have three in, in Luke and three in John. But, but the dying words of, 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 a, of a person, the last dying words, reveal um, a person's emotional, mental, relational, and spiritual state. They reveal whether that person is afraid, um, or if that person is at peace with the process of death. Dying words can reveal anger or despair. Um, they reveal the depths of one pains and suffering. Dying words can sometimes take the form of a confession as people seek to be reconciled with, with their family, with their neighbors, and, and with God. Um, they can be words that provide counsel for the hearers or for those that are left behind, right? Words mm -hmm. of wisdom. Uh, they also reveal the level of one's concern for the other, or the absence of it. Um, dying words also reveal a person's theology. What do you think about God? Do, do, is God present with me now? Is God absent? Um, is God present even though I may feel abandoned? Does God even care that I'm going through this? Uh, do we trust? Can I trust my lives into God's hands? And Have I taken care of my own human affairs? And Will God receive me? Is there a heaven? Will, will I see my loved one again? So, so these these are important words because, first of all, they're they're they're, they're part of a uh, a larger narrative about the the death of Christ and 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 his resurrection within the Gospels. Um, they are they're part of of the um, of how God is saving the world in Christ, and uh, and they're also Jesus's last dying words. And so they're, they're important. They're solemn, they're important, and they, and they speak to us uh, even today. And so um, 
they, they, yeah, so. So we're studying these words during a period of the church life, in a year rather, where we call Lent. Uh, for people unfamiliar with that term, Lent refers to a period of reflection and preparation leading up to Easter. But before we get that mountaintop experience of celebration, we have to go through the valley of the despair and the toil that, that comes with, uh, with, with Jesus' sacrifice. So Lent is often looked at as a way for Christians to replicate in some way Jesus' withdrawal into the wilderness for 40 days after his baptism in the Jordan River. It's a time often marked by fasting from food and festivities as we reflect on the ultimate sacrifice that Christ made on our behalf. Bishop, you shared in videos how Lent is important to you. Uh, for people who haven't heard that, would you please share just briefly what, for our listeners, now why Lent is so important to you personally? Yeah, thank you, Todd, for the question. Well, well, first of all, I, I was raised Protestant within a predominant Catholic community. And so being raised as a Protestant, um, you know, I, we, we, we defined ourselves uh, against uh, our, our Roman Catholic sisters and brothers. And I would just say this, that in my graduating class of 230, uh, only Omar Pena and me were the only Protestants. All my other classmates wow. were Roman Catholic. Okay. Okay. And so when we had our baccalaureate service, it was just Omar and I at our church and 228 of my friends at the Catholic church doing their baccalaureate service. So you can imagine how, how my faith alienated me. I mean, I was part of community, but when it came time, you know, to practice my faith, I was, I was not that. And so it was, it was a, uh, uh, a, a sense of belonging and, and yet not belonging, and and I and I had to live with that, um, with that lack of wholeness in, in within myself for for many years, um, and so when I when I went to seminary, I started um, to study the, the the lives of of um, of the Catholic priests, you know, as they came in uh, from Spain and. Um, and led mission efforts in Mexico and then moved on up into Texas and New Mexico and California. But, but two of them that I really started to, to um, study more carefully was uh, Bartolomé de las Casas, who was a Dominican missionary uh, who first exposed the oppression of indigenous peoples by the Europeans and the Americas. And he was the first to call for an abolition of slavery. And so, um, you know, so he was an advocate for, for freedom and for justice. And also, uh, Father Antonio Margil de Jesus, a priest known as a patron of Texas for his mission work among the American, uh, the Native Americans in Texas. And so, you know, he established the San Antonio Mission, and, uh, and he's, you know, he did amazing work there in, in, in advocacy for the Native Americans. Um, he always walked barefoot without sandals, and he fasted every day of the year. He practiced the... Uh, the way of the cross, or the station of the cross, every day, and that became morning, morning and night, and he lived by that. And and when I started to read about how that shaped their their mission, their missional life, I started to practice the station of the cross myself, and and so I started to 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 reclaim some of the the spiritual practices of the Roman Catholic Church. You know, little, little by little, I saw value in them, and um, um, and so. It all came to a head when my friend uh, died. Uh, my, my friend died when he was uh, in his early 50s, and I was asked to be a pallbearer. And my friend was something else. You know, he was, everybody's got one of those friends. <laughs> but, 
but when when he when he died and I was sitting next to his casket on the um, uh, on a pew, and of course the casket had a pall over it because it was it was a Roman Catholic funeral. The priest comes and he puts a crucifix on top of the of the casket. And and when I saw the crucifix on top of the casket, and I saw the outstretched arms of Jesus, mm -hmm. you know, above my friend's body, so to speak, I, it just kind of spoke to me, and it said, "This one's mine. He's mine. Mm. Receive him." And and I had a moment there where I I just I just really something in me just kind of said, "I I need to embrace all of all of who I am." And uh, and from that day on, Todd, I, you know, I, I bought a crucifix. I, I bought a crucifix and I started wearing a crucifix um, because it reminds me of the mercy and the love of Jesus Christ for my friend Willie. Uh, but it also reminds me of all of those who are crucified in our world today. Mm -hmm. Those that our society says, well, get down from the cross yourself, you know. Um, and those who our society looks at with dis disdain and, and disgust and, and wants to dismiss. Um, and, so, and so I wear it as a reminder that there are many people who live crucified lives. Uh, and that keeps me focused on, on my mission. And, and how, how, do, how can we, like Joseph of Arimathea, help take down people from the crosses where they're crucified, either because, you know, economically, socially, uh, politically, um, as human beings. And so, and, and, and for me, I mean, I, I have embraced the practices, I've embraced the spirituality together with my Wesleyan spirituality. And, uh, and I feel whole, it, it, but I was almost 50 years old. And it took me that long to really reconcile the, these these parts within me that were compartmentalized, and and to feel a sense of wholeness and a sense of the fullness of my own identity as as a person, and as a Christian, and as a sojourner with with other people in in the community. And so that's just my personal journey, and and I practice the uh, the way of the cross, and especially during Lent. And I always led my churches, you know, through. Uh, through Lent, and it was a very important time because I mean, there's no distractions like like Christmas. Christmas, we have Thanksgiving, we have Christmas, we have, you know, parties, and so we kind of get distracted. But in Lent, it's it's kind of like, like we focus on and walk by Jesus Christ as He walked away the cross for us, and so it's a solemn moment. Like you said, it's a it's a mm -hmm. dark moment, but man, when Easter comes, it's like yes, we can yeah. really celebrate. Yeah, so <laughs> right. Well, let's get to our first saying uh, from Jesus on the cross. Uh, this first one comes to us from the 23rd chapter of Luke, verse 34. At this point in the scripture, we just learned that there are two criminals who are going to be put to death uh, with Jesus at the location known as the skull or Golgotha in Aramaic or the Latin Calvary. Uh, then Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Bishop, what do you see as the significance of that particular phrase? The, the, first, the first thing that comes to mind is that the capacity to forgive your tormentor and your torturer is not human. Mm -hmm. it, you know, it, it is, it's, it's, 
it's sometimes not easy to forgive a friend who has offended you, but to forgive someone who has been engaged in your in your torture um, speaks speaks about something else that is just rooted in 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 a in a power of God that that is in, humanly incomprehensible while it's happening. Um, and so, yeah, we, because even when we forgive someone, it's after the fact that this has happened to yeah, us. Yeah. Uh, usually, there's a bit of time that's passed. Right. Jesus is still in tremendous pain on the cross when he's in says the this. process of continuing to be tortured, and and uh, and ridiculed and mocked and scorned. And so, and in that moment, he's forgiving. So, so what? I mean, for me, that. So when I look at the passion of Christ, I, I, I gain strength from it because I say to myself, there's, there's nothing that I can experience that can match that. And so what I get strength, this, the strength of Christ's passion gives, is a source of, of strength for me. And so, you know, we have, we have to remember that Jesus was 30 years old. And, and he had gone throughout the countryside and villages, teaching, healing the sick, casting out demons, and proclaiming, proclaiming that the reign of God had drawn near. And, you know, his, he had been misunderstood. Uh, his enemies were afraid of him. Uh, and, and they hated him. They, they hated him. Uh, he was betrayed by one of his disciples through, through treachery. Uh, he was abandoned by his friends in time of need. Uh, he underwent a terrible miscarriage of justice. Uh, and sentencing at the hands of religious and the politically powerful. Uh, he was tortured, humiliated, and crucified. And, and through all that, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So, so, it, so, when I, so when I hear that and read that, I don't see weakness. I see a strength of, rooted in God's love for Jesus that that no one can take away and no one can separate him from. No matter what they, they do to him, that bond between Jesus and God is, is unbreakable. And it is, it, is, um, it, is, it is intimately uh, woven into the, the life of Christ. And, and see, I think that, that when Jesus forgives them, He's he's not the victim anymore. Mm, okay. Okay. He, he's he's not the victim by forgiving his tortures. He has taken away their power to hurt him. See, because because as long as they keep torturing him, and victimizing him, they have the upper hand. But when he turns to forgive them, he's in control, not not them, and his soul and spirit and and words is greater than their hatred it's greater it's greater than their fears it's greater than their ignorance it's greater than their sin it it, it just overwhelms it and swallows it i forgive you because because you don't know what you're doing and so you know um yeah and, and i mean that's just and so many times we we hold we we hold unforgiveness and resentment in our in our hearts. I was going to kind of ask so let's let's take this to the 21st century. Yeah. So so if I'm listening right now and I I'm, I'm trying to comprehend all this, what is this these words from Jesus? What does it mean for us today 
as we sit here in today's society with uh, with all that the world tells us, uh, you know, because let's just face it, the world says, get revenge, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, look out for you, look mm-hmm. out for number one. Jesus isn't doing that at all right. in this most vulnerable of moments. Right. Uh, what does that mean for people today? Well, first of all, it, uh, again, as I said, it's a source of strength that, that, that Jesus is modeling, you know, through his life, through his last moments on earth, uh, grace, Gr- grace for those that have, uh, that, that have totally dis- disregarded his humanity. And, uh, and, and, f- and for, and for me, I see that as, as a sign of, of hope and as a possibility. And that's it's something that I can't muster myself, but it is something that I know it's, is a, it's available. It's a means of God's grace to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, for, for that, um, it, it, it then, uh, it gives people the, the possibility to not be victimized twice. First of all, you become a victim by the act that is, that is um, uh, inflicted upon you. That's one. But then you continue to victimize yourself by holding on to the, to the revenge and, and the resentment in your heart day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out, year after year after year. And that, that victimization of, of having to hold that in your soul can really uh, embitter you and, 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 your, and your outlook on life and, and your sense of joy because, because it's deeply rooted and then it can manifest itself in very self-destructive ways. And so by looking at Jesus and being able to do that, it's an, it's an, invita- it's, it's an invitation on, on, I think, on two things for me. Number one, how do I deal with, with ways and when people offend me? And, and, um, and, and what do I carry in my heart that is really, I, I need to let go of and release so that I quit, I, I quit being a victim of, of brought about by that memory, that, that, that harmful memory in my life. And so, and so in a way, it's, it's, it's an invitation of freedom from that. Hmm. Do you want to carry that? Do you want to be free from it? Yeah, it really is kind of like unleashing a burden. It that, is. It's attached to your back, right? It, it is. And, and it's also taking a sense of agency for your own life. That you're not going to have the last word over me. And I release you from that. But you will no longer continue to torture me by me holding on to this resentment towards you. And so I, I now release you, not for your benefit necessarily, but so that I can move on to my life. Uh, and I think another thing that I think that Jesus was, was maybe saying to, because, I mean, the gospel is not written in, in, in some vacuum. It, it was not written in, in, a, in, a, in an, it's not an abstraction. It was, it was real. It was human beings. It, 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 was, it was society. It was social. It was political. It was so many things. And so, I think that, that maybe when Jesus says they do not know what they're doing, and this is, this is what I reflect on, is that he's seeing people participate um, in a system, in, 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 a, in, a, in a brutal system, in a brutally dehumanizing system of oppression um, and, and, um, and fear used to maintain control and to repress and, and oppress uh, the, the people. 
and and so you don't you don't know what you're doing means that that you're you're actors in the very system that holds you down and there, there's something wrong with a society that 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 brutalizes and dehumanizes people and nobody says anything about it and everybody's complicit in that act and feels powerless to do anything about it and so when jesus says you don't know what you're doing it's also an invitation, I think, to those standing around them. Because see, the, the thing is that everybody thinks that all of the mass of, all of Jerusalem, all the hundreds, millions of people that were there, were all yelling crucify. But that, that's, I don't think that's the right story. Mm -hmm. When Pilate offered Barabbas or Jesus, he did it from his judgment seat at the praetorium. And so in, in, that, in that little courtyard, about 100 to 150 people fit. And so it was 150 people that were then incited by the leaders who were in the crowd to say, tell them Barabbas, right? Because Barabbas is a zealot and he'll lead us. It's like candidates today pack their, their campaign stops with the right people so they've got the cheering and exactly. everything that they want. Yeah. And so these 100, this 150 group number of people really were the ones who, who, who formed judgment against Jesus. And then before anybody knew it, Jesus was marched off to be you know, tortured and, and, and whipped and mocked. And then, you know, the, the, this crowd of 100 people go alongside and the crowd's saying, what's going on? I mean, the crowd doesn't really understand what's really happening because this has been done kind of in secret. And all they see is Jesus has been beaten yeah, and, yeah. and is having to carry the cross, the yeah. cross beam with the cross himself. So my vision is there, there's these people that maybe they support Jesus but they're like, I'm getting out of here. I'm, I'm not saying anything because I'm going to end up in the same place if I say exactly, anything. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And and yet, when you look at them, the number was greater. They, mm -hmm. they had the, they had the numbers, but they they were so dominated by the system of fear and oppression that 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 everybody just remained silent, or didn't really, or, or maybe they thought, well, maybe he must have done something wrong. But I don't think that people really understood the story. It was just those that were involved in the inner decisions. And they were carrying it out, and then mm -hmm. you know everybody else was falling around out of curiosity what was going on before they knew it, it was it was over. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? That that so much unraveled so quickly. Oh I my mean, gosh, yeah. I mean, we're just we're just days earlier where everyone is shouting Hosanna. Yeah. <laughs> as yeah. he enters the king, as he enters uh, uh, the, the the court there or in, into the old city of Jerusalem, um, just shows how how quickly things can can change. Uh, and, our, and the scriptures obviously tell us that story. Like you said, so much of, of all of our books are dedicated to that yeah. last week of, of Christ's life. It's pretty amazing. Uh, so our first saying is, is uh, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Uh, that's going to do it for this first episode of this special series. Uh, Bishop, thank you so much for, for sharing your knowledge and your reflection with us. Thank you, Todd. Uh, we'll be back next week with the second of Jesus' seven sayings from the cross. Until then, have a blessed week as you continue your Lenten journey. Peace. In Layman's Terms is a podcast sponsored by the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church and by me, your host, Todd Seifer. If you liked what you heard in this episode, please go rate us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. It helps other people find us. And please, if you feel so inclined, share us on Facebook or other social media. 
Our music comes via a licensed subscription with First Com Music. You can find archived podcasts on my website, toddcypher.com, or via a link on the conference website, greatplainsumc.org slash podcasts. Feel free to email me any questions or suggestions to tcypher at greatplainsumc.org, and I'll do my best to respond as quickly as possible. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, please do what you can to help make more disciples of Jesus Christ. You can play a small part in helping change a life.